Good morning, everyone. With me this morning is former mayor Bruce Botello. He is here to talk about this year's question of whether to hold a constitutional convention in Alaska. He is again such a con- uh, such a convention. Good morning, Bruce. <laughs> good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. Great. I hope you're staying warm, though. Well, um, I am so far. Good. Um, I worry about next week. That's that. <laughs> that is for sure. Now, Bruce has also offered up a open line. So, if you'd like to call in to today, five eight six one eight hundred. Now, Bruce, we revisit this every ten years. Why is that? Well, one of the provisions in the Constitution in terms of uh, amendment calls for three different ways to to change the Constitution. The first, and the one that we're most familiar with, is where two-thirds of each house, the legislature proposes an amendment, and it's placed before the voters. Um, Legislature has done that 40 times since the um, effective date of the Constitution, and voters have approved it 28 times. Constitution also says that the legislature can convene a convention at any time. But the third feature, the third alternative, is the one we're uh, confronting this year, and that is if there hasn't been a convention within the last 10 years, the lieutenant governor is required to put on the ballot the question, shall there be a constitutional convention? And that's what we're seeing next Tuesday on the ballot. Shall there be a constitutional convention? On the ballot itself, it'll be on the reverse side, it is the Proposition 1 uh, at the very top of the ballot. Now, we're automatically asked this 10 years, but it, it could be at any point that we could be asked this question. Well, uh, actually, it is uh, the way it's framed in the Constitution is if at any time within the last 10 years there's not been a convention. So we have been on this rotating schedule Uh, of every 10 years on the second year of the decade since 1972. Actually, the first time this question ever appeared on the ballot was in 1970. And the question narrowly passed um, that year. There was a challenge um, to it because of the phraseology, which was to the effect, as required by the Alaska Constitution, shall there be a constitutional convention? And uh, we had two, two attorneys here in Juneau, um, very well known, Jim Bradley and Av Gross, who challenged um, the phraseology, saying that the way it was worded was misleading because people would feel compelled to vote yes because it's stated as required by the Constitution. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the Superior Court, at the time it was... Uh, Judge Vic Carlson ruled that indeed it was misleading and so much so that it, uh, the, the vote needed to be thrown out. It was appealed to the state Supreme Court and the S- Supreme Court upheld uh, Judge Carlson's decision and directed that the question be placed on the ballot in 1972. And in that year it was uh, defeated. But ever since then, every 10 years, um, it's been rejected um, pretty roundly. Last time was uh, 2012. It was defeated on a more than two to one. Well, I shouldn't say more. To, it was almost exactly two to one. Now, Bruce, to go even further back than the 70s, I, I know the first and only constitutional convention that was held was to craft 
the current constitution we have, right? That's correct. And that took 75 days. Would it take about the same time today, would you say? Well, the amount of time that's going to be allotted will be up to the legislature to decide. And um, over the years where the legislature has had to start thinking about, start planning for a potential convention, they've ranged uh, the low end at 60 days, the high end at, at 90. But the long and short of it is it will be the legislature uh, that will decide if it chooses not to the Constitution also specifies that one would look to what happened in uh, in 1955-56 uh, and impose that limitation. It's a uh, it's not a lot of time. Um, I there are good reasons for that, but um, I think the challenge of a very short time is the extent to which delegates would be interested in getting feedback from the public. Um, in 1955-56, they were isolated at college. There weren't a lot of public hearings to the extent that they happened in committee. It was usually by invited testimony. They did take a 15-day break um, about halfway through the convention, and individual delegates um, held public hearings uh, around, around the territory. I think this is an entirely different environment. And I th think any convention that takes place is going to have to figure out how extensively and in what methods, methodologies would be used to actually engage the public in getting feedback for changes. And at that time, there are 55 delegates. Would it be doled out the same way? That is another very good question. And we don't have a definitive answer. Uh, again, the hmm. Constitution says that unless the, otherwise provided by law, which is to say unless the legislature says otherwise, we are to model ourselves as much as possible on the 1955-56 convention. But um, I, I did talk about what happened in 1970 with the vote, and immediately after that, um, Governor Egan, who coincidentally was the president of the uh, Constitutional Convention, had legislation introduced to um, anticipate a convention that would take place in the early 70s. And the, the legislation that he had introduced called for 65 delegates, uh, five of whom would be elected at large statewide, and 60 that who would be um, based on legislative apportionment, that is to say the 40 House districts and the 20 Senate districts. The issue came, the bill itself um, didn't make it too far um, because in the meantime there was the Superior Court and ultimately the Supreme Court decision, so planning on the convention um, stops shortly, um, shortly into the 1971-72 um, sessions. But the issue arose again uh, in the late 70s and again, legislation was proposed. It was a joint committee of House and Senate. And they looked at the model that had been developed by uh, Governor Egan and um, basically, again, adopted it. Five uh, statewide delegates, 60 to be determined by apportionment based on 
House and Senate districts. And so that's the only president we have right now. Exactly. And it probably makes sense, uh, again, um, whether one would look at five at-large members, three, um, you want to have an an uneven number um, simply for purposes of determining majority votes. But um, the fact that we um, go through the apportionment process uh, and redistricting every 10 years, you know that you are um, making sure every district is is roughly equal. That's pretty important. And to have that work already done because of the establishment of House and Senate districts makes that the most logical way for the uh, um, decision about how delegates are, well, not so much how they're selected, but on what basis and the number. Now, when we are thinking about the changes that are made, I mean, Bruce, I'm skipping a lot of steps here. I mean, first we have to decide whether yes. to even hold a convention and the delegates have to agree and then the voters have to agree. What is the process for changes if we wanted to be rid of them? After that, we've gone through this whole convention process, let's say what, it's what all, happens next? Yeah, what happens next? We've got this new document. Any product of a convention is subject to a vote of the people. Again, it has to be ratified. So uh, if there are, and I should point out that the convention delegates, according to the Constitution itself, have plenary power to start over, that is, draft an entirely new document, make fairly wholesale changes, or simply to make uh, individual uh, amendments. Constitution distinguishes a little bit between revisions, which is more wholesale, and uh, amendments. Most likely, um, the outcome of a convention would be to list on a ballot um, the next statewide general election the um, the changes by revision or by amendment. But the bottom line is it cannot take effect. None of them can without an affirmative vote of the people. And if they're defeated, we default back to the document we have. Now, now I was curious, when we were talking about in our last program, too, the amendment process, where that, that could also be an option if somebody wanted something changed, one specific item within the Constitution, you go over to the legislature. What I was curious about since our last program is the coming back to the delegates. Are legislators... Could legislators be delegates? Well, again, little historic diversion. That was a question that arose in 1955. Um, Burke Riley, um, many of our listeners, uh, your listeners here will remember Burke, um, was um, representing uh, Haynes in the territorial legislature in 1955. And he decided to run uh, as a delegate. And his petition was immediately challenged in the federal court, claiming that being simultaneously a legislator and a delegate would constitute dual office holding. And um, the U.S. District Court agreed. And um, the upshot of that was that our non-voting Delegate to Congress, um, Bob Bartlett immediately had legislation introduced, and to basically reverse that decision, 
uh, and was successful. And as a consequence of that, there were um, 14 um, then-sitting legislators who ran for um, delegate to the convention, and none of them were elected. All of which is to say that they anticipated that this problem could arise again. And so there is a specific provision in the Constitution that makes clear that legislators are allowed to serve as delegates without constituting dual office holding. We will see legislators running to be delegates, and many of them likely would be elected. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back with Bruce Matello here to talk about this year's constitutional convention question. We've heard concerns that the messaging on defend Alaska's constitution feels a bit like scaremongering to folks. Is that the intent? Well, um, I wouldn't use that word. I would, but we tend to use the term that it's a Pandora's box. That is, everybody may have some things they wish to have changed in the Constitution. It's the risk that, as I mentioned before, delegates will have plenary authority to change anything and everything they want, again, subject to the vote of the people. But um, the range of issues um, that could be taken up and many of them that are mentioned as reasons to have a convention, I think are um, frightening and should be scary to Alaskans to change how our judges are selected. We have a merit-based system which has uh, done um, wonders, I think, in making sure that our judiciary is not politicized. Use that as an example. Um, we talked briefly ourselves about the issue of the capital move. Um, which is a topic that is uh, clearly one that uh, could be a subject of a convention, and there are advocates for the convention that would want specifically to deal with relocating the capital or at least relocating uh, the, uh, the legislature. Um, abortion has taken center stage in much of the discussions. Um, um, many who are... Um, opposed to abortion, see a convention as the only means in Alaska to uh, prohibit uh, the procedure. And, and that's a result of the U.S. Supreme Court having decided that a right to abortion is not a federally protected right. So if it exists at all, it's at the state level. And in Alaska, up till now, our um, Constitution has been interpreted by our Supreme Court um, and particularly our right to privacy clause, Article 1, Section 22, that that right to privacy encompasses a woman's right to choose. And uh, advocates for convention are saying, we need to change this. We either prohibit the courts from being able to decide these kinds of cases, we redefine um, life to begin at conception, and therefore grant all the... Um, right to life, liberty, and property, pursuit of happiness uh, um, to encompass the as yet unborn and uh, or to simply carve out in the right to privacy clause itself an exception which says this does not include 
the ability or right to abort or for the government to pay for abortions. So I use those as uh, some examples. Um, And I would say our own group, um, Defend Our Constitution, has members who are personally very strongly opposed to abortions, um, but who have come to the same conclusion um, that I and others have, which is there may be individual changes that should uh, should take place, but we should not risk the entire document to achieve a specific uh, result um, or a specific change. That if it's going to happen at all, it should happen in the context of the rigorous review that takes place um, in the House and Senate to try and reach a two-thirds vote. And recognizing that the legislature is to be reflective of the will of the people and um, the high threshold that... um, our founders had in terms of saying the document is so fundamental it should not be easily changed and that's why we set this burden of two-thirds vote in each house to move forward and if you can't achieve that perhaps the document should be changed and on on the amendment process i believe there's only been 28 amendments to the state's constitution since, since its ratification? That's exactly the right number. That's to say, though, there have been 40 proposals put forward by the legislature. And uh, so uh, roughly uh, a third of those that have been proposed have been rejected by the voters. And the last time was in 2016. But might the bar be a little too high, given 50 years, 28 amendments? Well, it may be a reflection that the document is a pretty good document. It's been um, viewed um, critically by political scientists uh, around the country as um, a model constitution. And um, I clearly hold that belief as well. I think there are things that are um, particularly worthy about this document. Um, And I would say while there are specific changes that I might want to tinker with myself um it's a good constitution and it's withstood the test of time before we come to a close here i wanted to know your thoughts bruce on when might be a good time for alaska to have a constitution might not a be convention. This, a convention yes a, a constitutional convention well i i think it's i'm not sure that uh, i could predict uh, conditions um it's certainly anticipated and the reason it's in the constitution is a bit of a failsafe in terms of um legislative inaction on a variety of fronts um um that might create that that circumstance I would say, um, and maybe it's uh, naive of me, but I think the conditions today, the politicization of society generally, um, the disregard on a national level um, about government, reflected to a certain extent in Alaska as well, as well as some populist ideas that... um, I think would undermine some of our institutions. This is not the right time. I can't tell you that I know that there is a right time, but I'm 
very confident that this is not one of those. Well, I wish I could give you something to add, but Bruce, we're out of time. So I appreciate you coming in this morning. Been a delight. And thank you for listening this morning. This is Kevin Allen, Fraction Line, signing off. Have a good weekend.